What is going on, everybody? You are listening to episode seven of the Around the Show Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Kyle Showalter, and you know, a ton has happened since our last episode. First off, the Washington Nationals won their first World Series since the 1930s, back when they were the Washington Senators. Shout out to Steven Strasburg winning the World Series MVP in a contract year. That's what you always love to see when a guy's had not to get paid, you know, go out and do something big like that. There's going to be a ton of teams, you know, trying to be potential suitors for him. And we'll get a lot into that more in the next episode. I'll have a special guest. He's been on the show before to talk all things baseball in the offseason. And elsewhere in the NFL, the New England Patriots just fell for the first time, heading into Week 10 to the Baltimore Ravens, leaving the San Francisco 49ers as the only undefeated team remaining in the NFL. The four win last year, San Francisco 49ers. If you would have told me they would be 8-0 at this point in the season, I would have told you you were crazy, but... Here they are heading into a big matchup with the Seahawks, an interdivisional matchup on Monday Night Football next week with a team that they match up really well against. So they could be on their way to 9-0, and and who knows where the rest of the season is going to go for them. And then elsewhere in the sports world, the NBA is finally back, and it's already generating some really interesting storylines. You know, Kawhi Leonard sitting out against the Bucks for load management. That really ticked a lot of people off. And, you know, this is an NBA season that I think a lot of fans are really, really excited about for obvious reasons. Now, with all the excitement of this past NBA offseason where we saw guys like Kevin Durant heading to Brooklyn along with Kyrie Irving and, you know, Kawhi Leonard coming back to the United States and heading to Los Angeles to play for the Clippers of all the organizations and Paul George coming there with him, we're finally seeing for the first time in the NBA true parity. And, you know, what does that mean? That means that there's actually a good amount of teams that that can compete for a championship any given season. And I think this year at least in my lifetime, the NBA feels more wide open than it ever has. You still have those true superstar teams, you know, the Los Angeles Clippers led by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, the LA Lakers led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis, of course, the Houston Rockets led by Russell Westbrook and James Harden, you know, the teams that are still superstar driven, but this feels more like the the year of the duos. I mean, you can go throughout the the rest of the NBA and find teams with two really good players and maybe even two superstar players. And you know, really what it's been for the last five, six years has been golden state and whatever team LeBron is on has really been the finals. And then you had last year with the Kawhi Leonard led Raptors, excuse me, getting to the NBA finals and eventually winning it because of an injured Kevin Durant. But regardless, this feels like the first time, at least in my life, that the NBA is truly wide open in the sense like, you see with the NFL or the MLB, where really it feels like it's any team's game. Whoever gets hot at the right time really has a shot. And of course, it's going to be led by those superstar-driven teams, but how exciting is it? You know, you can go through the teams. The Sixers feel like they have a chance. The Celtics feel like they have a chance. The Bucks feel like they have a chance. Even the Pacers, you can make a case for them in the Eastern Conference to get out of there. And then, of course, you have the Lakers in the Western Conference. The Nuggets, who were the two-seed last year, only three games behind Golden State, they have an opportunity to win the finals this year. The Clippers, of course. The Mavericks, if Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis can get on the same page, obviously have a chance. The Houston Rockets have a chance. The Utah Jazz added Mike Conley to a very, very solid roster. I believe that, you know, the sky's the limit for that team. And then the Portland Trailblazers who I believe were going to be the one seed off to a little bit of a slow start, but I don't think it's anything that Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum aren't going to be able to overcome in a very tough, deep Western Conference. And it's just so exciting going into an NBA season to not feel like you already know what's going to happen. You know, that's 
the monotony of an 82 game season. You know, you know what you were going to get at the end of these last couple years with the Kevin Durant led Golden State Warriors or the LeBron James led Cleveland Cavaliers. You knew who was going to meet in the finals. And, you know, now for the first time, you really feel like any team has a chance. And I just, I can't overstate how awesome that is as a basketball fan. And another thing that I can't overstate how much I love about the NBA, and I'm sure a lot of you guys will agree with me on this, is how abysmal the Golden State Warriors have looked so far this season. I have one really good friend who is a Golden State Warriors fan, and you know he says, oh, it's okay, it's a building year. But for the rest of us NBA fans who have been bullied by this roster that won 73 games, lost in the finals to LeBron James after blowing a 3-1 to lead, and then somehow adding Kevin Durant to that team, we were sick and tired of that team bullying the rest of the NBA around. Every year we came in and we knew the Golden State Warriors were going to end up having a crown put on their heads. And had, it, had Kevin Durant not gotten hurt in the NBA Finals, they would have won for a fourth straight season. And, you know, it's we were all sick and tired of it. And now, the Golden State Warriors are at the bottom of the Western Conference. It's finally happening, NBA fans. The Golden State Warriors are finally mediocre again. This team lost Klay Thompson in the NBA Finals to a torn ACL. They lost Steph Curry in the first week to a broken hand. He's out for three months. And now Draymond Green is having his minutes and his games managed. He's not playing right now, either with an ankle injury. And even D'Angelo Russell, their big offseason addition, who a lot of people thought was going to be a trade chip, he's not playing right now. So if you look at the roster for the Golden State Warriors, they're led by Glenn Robinson and Eric Pascal. Who are these guys? You know, Glenn Robinson, a solid player. Eric Pascal, he's been a solid player for the Warriors, but it's a far cry from who they were. And I can't tell you, especially as a Cleveland fan, how great it is to see this team fall from grace so quickly. But as my good friend, who is a Golden State Warriors fan, pointed out to me, this could be the biggest blessing for the Golden State Warriors that they could have asked for. Think of the Spurs, the year Tim Duncan was able to be drafted by them in the lottery. At number one overall, David Robinson got hurt in the beginning of the season, much like uh, Steph Curry did, and they were able to tank the entire season, not on purpose, in that age there really wasn't tanking, but they were able to tank that season away and get Tim Duncan and start a whole new dynasty. And they were able to win a bunch of rings led by Tim Duncan. So for the rest of us NBA fans, we can take solace and enjoy this year. But just know, the Warriors might just be getting started again. And it is frustrating to think about it in that way. And of course, it wouldn't be an Around the Show sports podcast if we didn't talk some NFL. And you know, I got... I got a weird thing with the NFL and how we grade one position, and that's quarterback. You know, it's it's such a weird position in terms of how we think about it. Obviously, it's the most important position in football. Now, my question is, why do we evaluate these guys so differently from other positions? Now, bear with me. Think of wide receivers. Let's take Jamison Crowder, wide receiver for the Jets. Very average guy. Definitely serviceable, but he's not really elite at anything. Now, he's played three seasons in which he's got into all 16 games. And in those years, he's averaged about 750 yards and four touchdowns. 
That is a very respectable number for an average football player. Now, that logic is very sound, right? A guy is average. Now, why can't that thought translate to the evaluation of quarterbacks? You know, more than any other position in really any sport, we don't fairly grade these guys. Now, if a guy is average, he's terrible. If a guy is passable, he's elite, at least to that team's fan base. Think Jared Goff. You know, I bet that name elicits a thought in your head, an opinion on him. You either think he's terrible and he can't play, or you think he's about to take that next step into being elite. When the truth is somewhere in the middle, he's okay. And I think there's one quarterback that even better exemplifies this thought than Jared Goff, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo of the San Francisco 49ers. Now let me take you on a little trip back to when he was in New England playing for the Patriots. He started four games in New England in place of a suspended Tom Brady. He finished three of those, so we'll count those three games. He went 3-0 and in those games. And then he got traded to San Francisco and went 5-0 and in the five games he started, and there he averaged over 300 passing yards per game. Fast forward to this year, and he's undefeated again, but it's a very different story for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's only throwing for 225 yards per game in these games, but he has thrown 13 touchdowns. But he's also thrown seven interceptions. He's also averaging the lowest yards per attempt and the lowest air yards per attempt in his career, which means he really isn't pushing the ball down the field. But he is completing 70% of his pass attempts. I mentioned it before, I love DVOA, the football outsider's metric for measuring where a quarterback stacks up or where really anyone stacks up compared to other positions or players in the NFL. According to DVOA, DVOA, he's a number 16 quarterback. He is the average starting quarterback, 16 out of 32, as middle of the pack as it gets. And, you know, now the talking points start. Either Jimmy G is as good as we thought he was in New England when he was the next Tom Brady, or Jimmy G is an awful quarterback with a bad contract, when really, the truth is somewhere in the middle. No, it's fair to say he isn't who we thought he was going to be when he was in New England. At least not right now. He needs to take another step if he wants to get there. But he's also not a liability to this San Francisco team. Jimmy G is a victim of what I call AQBS, Average Quarterback Syndrome. Symptoms include being massively overappreciated, massively underappreciated, and massive amounts of hot takes produced. And you know, we can talk hot takes all we want. We will later in the show. And you know, I don't think it's a hot take to talk about another quarterback in the NFC that has really overstayed his welcome in a city. And that city is Chicago. Now, the Bears, they won 12 games last year. And at a top 10 scoring offense and really one of the best defenses we've seen in decades with the addition of Khalil Mack. They had a young quarterback who had the ability to extend plays with his legs and he was completing passes at a high clip. It's easy to forget that they were a double doink away from advancing in the playoffs to the divisional round last season. But what a difference one season can make because the Bears, the Bears are a train wreck this season. The defense is still playing well. You know, they're not the defense they were last year because they're not producing those crazy amounts of turnovers, 36 turnovers in only 16 games last season. But they're still a top 10 scoring defense. Now, where the differences lie between these two teams in terms of 2018 to 2019, 
That lies with the offense. After being the number nine ranked scoring offense last season, led by that good young quarterback, they're the number 27 ranked scoring offense in the NFL. They've only scored 20 plus points three times in eight games. Now that's bad. They've only eclipsed 300 total yards one time in eight games. That's worse. And the truth is, is that it comes down to one man, Mitchell Trubisky. DVOA, he's the number 26 ranked quarterback in the NFL with a negative 17.6% DVOA. And now what does that mean for someone who's not necessarily sound with analytics in the NFL? That means he is 17.6% worse than a league average quarterback. And according to ESPN's QBR, he's a 30th ranked quarterback in the NFL. Either way, puts him in the bottom tier of starting quarterbacks. He's horribly inaccurate. I've watched many Bears games this season as I have some friends who are really good Bears fans and I like to keep up with that so I can talk to them about it. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen him miss an open receiver. It's constant overthrows, sailing balls over his open receiver's heads. I can't tell you how many times I've seen him miss uh, Tariq Cohen on these wide open throws. And I think it's fair to say, Bears fans, it's time to panic because your team's Super Bowl window is right now. And I say it's right now because defenses are as volatile as anything in the NFL. Think of the 1985 Bears or the 2000 Ravens. Now, these are great defenses, but what do they have in common? They're the 1985 Bears and the 2000 Ravens. Their legacy is only lasting one year. And this is because it's so hard to keep these dominant defenses together for a litany of reasons. And this team last this year lost their defensive coordinator and Vic Fangio to the Broncos to become their head coach. They've already started to lose players, namely Adrian Amos, heading to the division rival Packers. Their window of being truly great in a transcendent defense could be closing soon. And this is why the Bears need to make the difficult move to move on from their quarterback this offseason. Teddy Bridgewater has played very well for the Saints this season. He's set to be a free agent. You know, he's shown the ability to control the game and limit to limit turnovers. And really, with this defense, that would be plenty for this team to shine. He's proved for the Saints this season that he can come in, play at least out of the bullpen. You know, you give him a starting job, he could really make a difference with this team. And then there's the really sexy possibility that Cam Newton could be available for the Panthers, as crazy as that sounds. With one year left on his deal... The Panthers can cut him and alleviate $19 million from their cap. And, you know, this is a little riskier than Teddy health-wise. You know, he's dealt with injuries, a shoulder surgery this last offseason, now dealing with this pretty serious foot issue. But the upside with this team, man, imagine Cam Newton. We've seen what Cam can do. And imagine him with these weapons in Chicago, you know, with Tariq Cohen, who can make plays catching Paul out of the backfields. David Montgomery, their third-round pick, he's flashed the last two weeks, looked really good against the Eagles two weeks ago. Allen Robinson, he's a solid wide receiver. Taylor Gabriel can escape, and he's a, he's a real deep threat. And Riley Ridley, he was a touchdown machine in college. Cam Newton loves throwing to these big, tall receivers. And, you know, adding the threat that Cam poses with his legs when he's healthy. And, you know, this could, in my opinion, really change the complexion of this franchise. Teddy or Cam, both of these guys. 
And I know Bears fans, they're done with Mitchell Trubisky. I'd assume Matt Nagy and the defense are both fed up with Mitchell Trubisky. Now the last step is going to be for Ryan Pace, the GM of the Bears, to admit that he blew the number two pick in the 2017 draft. It was a mistake to move up, and it's time to move on from Mitchell Trubisky. Now I'm not sure if saying it's time to move on from Mitchell Trubisky really qualifies as a hot take considering how abysmal he's really been this season. But, you know, I like to sit and watch my fair, ta- my fair share of these hot take shows, you know, the, the first takes and the first things first of, of their kind. And, you know, I like to think of myself as someone who is intellectual enough to sit there and watch these shows and, you know, put myself in the shoes of the people on the show and say, I agree with that. This would be my response or I don't agree with that. This would be my response. So I'm going to take some of these hot takes that I've been hearing around the sports world and, you know, make a little segment called Hot Take Consultation. And the first of these four hot takes we're going to get to today is that the San Francisco 49ers, who are 8-0, will finish the season with a record of 12-4 or worse. And at first glance, this was insane to me with how good the San Francisco 49ers have looked through the first nine weeks of the season. But then I looked at their upcoming schedule. Now let's go through it together. Week 10, they have Seattle at home on Monday Night Football. That's a team they match up very well against, but, you know, Russell Wilson is probably the MVP, at least to me at this point in the season, so really anything can happen. Week 11, they're at Arizona, and Arizona really gave them their toughest challenge of the season last week on Thursday Night Football. You go to Week 12, they have Green Bay at home, and, you know, they just looked miserable miserable against the Chargers. No no questioning that. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers the last couple weeks, minus that, that Chargers game, has looked like a potential MVP candidate. So Aaron Rodgers is definitely someone who's capable of coming in and playing very well against the San Francisco defense. Week 13, they go to Baltimore, who just beat New England and have a quarterback who torched the top-ranked defense in terms of DVOA. The Niners have the number two defense in terms of DVOA. Week 14, they go to New Orleans in the Superdome. They haven't lost since week two. Week 15, they have Atlanta at home. That's probably going to be a win. Atlanta has been abysmal this season. Week 16, they have the Rams at home, and the Rams will be fighting for their playoff lives. That's a desperate team. And the Week 17, they have Seattle again at Seattle with the 12-man being a factor. And, you know, this will again be a Seattle team desperate to be fighting for a playoff spot granted in Week 17. And, you know, really the only gimme game of those final eight games is going to be against Atlanta. The other seven, there's a good opportunity there for the other team to steal a win. Now, with all that being said... The verdict is going to be a nay for me. I already disregarded the Niners once this season, and I'm not doing it again. The Niners are 8-0, and it's because they have talent that fits exactly what they want to do both on the offensive and the defensive side on the ball. This is a team that just put up 51 points on the Panthers' defense. The Panthers' defense was no slouch. They led the NFL in takeaways and sacks when those two teams met. I'm not going to doubt the team with the highest DVOA in the entire NFL. That's the San Francisco 49ers. And now we move on to the second hot take, and that is that Tom Brady will leave to another team to prove that he is not a product of Bill Belichick. And right off the bat, this is just one that I can't see. And I I hear a lot of people talking about this because he's selling his house and Adam Schefter is, you know, saying there's a chance he goes somewhere else. Chicago might be a good destination for him for all the reasons that I really just said above. And, you know... I just don't see it. Tom Brady, he's already widely regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time. He has those six Super Bowl rings more than anyone ever, and this year he could win his seventh, which would still be more than anyone ever. 
This just doesn't make sense in terms of risk-reward to me. If he leaves and he wins, great. You're the GOAT. But you were already the GOAT. If you lose, now doubt is going to be attached to you forever. Fair or not, that's the business of this job. Now, the third hot take, this is an interesting one for me. It's that LeBron will win another MVP before he retires. He hasn't won since he was in Miami. And, you know, LeBron is sure playing as if he wants to win another MVP, I'll tell you that. He's been great to start this season. I think he heard everyone saying he was washed and he was going to be going into year 17 and it was going to be the beginning of the end. And then on Tuesday, he only became the first Laker in 32 years to, to have three straight triple doubles. He's averaging 28, 8, and 11. That's 28 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists on the young season. You know, how's that for a guy who's going to be 35 by the time the season is over? Now, with the player that has all of this going for him, what does he have going against him? I think that it is the fact that he might be the second best player on his team. You know, if am I am I wrong to make that to pose that question that he might be the second best player on a team with Anthony Davis who's averaging 29-12 and 3 with three blocks to go along with that line? He's dominating in the post, which is really something we haven't seen him do at least to the extent when the frequency that we're seeing him do it this season with the Lakers. He's at least earlier in the in the season, early on, he was averaging over 18 post possessions per game, which is far and away the highest number of his career. And if you watch these games, the Lakers are operating through Anthony Davis, not through LeBron. And for this reason, I would say no, LeBron won't win another MVP before his career is over because by the end of this season, I'm not sure LeBron will be the best player in the NBA anymore and he'll be the second best player on his team. And the fourth and final hot take tonight is that the Phoenix Suns will make the playoffs this season. And how how crazy is that? The Phoenix Suns are off to a 5-2 and two start on the back of Devin Booker, who just put up 40 points on 19 shots. 19 shots! You know, Devin Booker might be a top 5 pure scorer in the NBA. He can get a shot off the dribble, off the catch and shoot. Uh, He's great operating the pick and roll. They just added Ricky Rubio, which allows him to play more off the ball. And, you know, he's taken full advantage of the the new firepower around him. And to go along with Ricky Rubio, who's averaging 12.7, 6.5, and 8.5, that's points, rebounds, and assists on the season. They also traded for Aaron Baines, who's averaging 15 points and shooting 48% from three on 4.4 attempts from the center spot. And, you know, maybe the most important addition to this team was hiring Monty Williams as the head coach. James Jones, the GM, has done a really good job of getting this franchise going in the right direction with Monty Williams. He's one of the most respected and experienced coaches in the NBA today. I I really thought this was a great hire for them for a young team. And again, they're 5-2 and two on the seasons, and their only two losses, one of them was a one-point loss to the Nuggets in overtime, who were the two-seed in the West last season, And then they had another loss to the Jazz by one point, who were the fifth team in the West last season. Now, the Suns are playing well, but they're a very young team, and they just lost DeAndre Ayton for 25 games for using a diuretic. And I think eventually they're going to regress to the mean because they'll be without their best big man. And simple math here, it took 48 wins to be the eighth seed in the West last year. And I'm really having a hard time convincing myself that the Suns will get to that number. But 
regardless. This is a team that's going to be able to scrap their way to a lot of wins this year, and that's a really exciting thing for Phoenix, who, as I said already, were there's really not been any good basketball to watch there in years, and that's a fan base who's seen a lot of success, and with the return of good basketball to Phoenix, that could be a market that really takes off in the next couple years, so I'm excited to watch that one develop. And before we get to the story of the show, make sure that you follow our Twitter account at AroundTheShowSP and always check back to the website at www.AroundTheShowSports.com for fresh content. We're always putting new stuff up, so make sure that you stay tuned and keep your eye out for that. And for the story of the show, I want to touch on the 2018 NFL Draft because it was a crazy draft. You know, the Cleveland Browns, took a 5-foot-10-inch, two-time walk-on quarterback who had been arrested on campus first overall. That's Baker Mayfield. The New York Giants, they took a running back second overall in 2018, and really three running backs went in the first round in total in the year 2018. I can't stress that enough how crazy that is to me. And then you look further down in the draft, the LA Chargers took Derwin James at 17th overall, and he was able to achieve first-team All-Pro status as a rookie. So this ta- this draft had a lot of talent in it at a lot of different positions. But of course, we're going to focus on the quarterbacks taken in this draft. Now let's just talk about the first round here. In the first round, there were five quarterbacks taken in total. Four of those went in the top 10. That was Baker Mayfield at number one overall to the Cleveland Browns, Sam Darnold at number three to the New York Jets, Josh Allen at number seven to the Buffalo Bills, and Josh Rosen at number 10 to the Arizona Cardinals. Now let's look at how they've done. Baker Mayfield, of course, broke the rookie passing touchdown record, but he's looked completely lost this season with a star cast of receivers. And Sam Darnold, he's seeing ghosts after playing the Patriots. Josh Allen looks better running the ball than throwing it. And Josh Rosen got traded after one year and looks miserable in Miami, which can't really blame him. Everyone looks miserable in Miami. And, you know... I said five quarterbacks were taken in the first round, four of them in the top 10. What about that other guy that wasn't taken in the top 10? That other guy is Lamar Jackson, who went number 32 overall to the Ravens after they traded up to get into the first round to take him. And you know, there really isn't much to say about Lamar that hasn't been said already. We all know he's fast, and we all knew he'd be able to run around in the NFL. But the questions that I had about Lamar coming out of Louisville were if he could stay in the pocket and go through his progressions like an NFL quarterback has to, and if he were able if he was going to be able to have the same success running between the tackles on design runs like he did in college. Well, upon further review, check and check. Lamar has done a great job of hanging around in the pocket and making sure that he can find these open receivers instead of just scrambling at the first sight of pressure, which is something that I had a a real concern about with him. And, you know, this is a problem that we've seen with a lot of these scrambling quarterbacks, but Lamar doesn't seem to have to, doesn't seem to want to run unless he has to. And, you know, his ability to scramble and extend these plays, it's also giving this big O-line that the Ravens have put in front of him more room for error. And, you know, his numbers on the surface, they don't blow you away. I have him in front of me. He's at 225 passing yards per game. He's done 12 touchdowns to five picks. Now, those numbers, they're respectable, but they're not great. Until you take a deeper look and you realize that Lamar Jackson has been borderline elite. 
if you add in his rushing yards, he's averaging 306.2 total yards per game. That is more than Tom Brady. That is more than Russell Wilson. That is more than Aaron Rodgers. And that is more than Deshaun Watson. Football Outsiders has his quarterback rating at 66.7, good for 7th in the NFL. Of players with at least 50 carries, Lamar Jackson leads the league in yards per carry at 6.43. The next closest player is Kyler Murray at 5.59. Two quarterbacks at the top of that list, pretty interesting. Lamar Jackson is also the leading rusher on a team that is on pace to break the single-season rushing record. He's doing it as a quarterback. And if you aren't into numbers... Fine, I understand. I test. Watch how Lamar Jackson commands this team. He plays with a swagger and a confidence that's contagious. You can't watch these games and not completely know that Lamar Jackson has a stranglehold on this team and they will follow him anywhere, which is as important as any quarterback, any skill that they possess. Leadership is a quarterback skill. We know this. And they just put 37 points on a Patriots defense that was only allowing 8 points per game. And then not only does he throw a touchdown against this defense, he runs in two more. Now, if you watch that game, you can't disagree that he was in complete control against one of the best secondaries of our generation, maybe one of the best defenses, at least according to the statistics. And the veterans on this team, they love playing for him. You know, Earl Thomas, after the game during his presser, said he deserves the NFL MVP. The Baltimore Ravens are building a monster. And the quarterback that everyone had questions about, people were saying he's a wide receiver. People were saying that he can't throw. People were saying that he won't be an NFL quarterback. Well, he got taken number 32, the fifth quarterback taken in the 2018 NFL draft. And ladies and gentlemen, he is the head of that monster. <laughs>